Well, good morning. We have been in a series here. We just started it last week called the Every, we call it Everyday Spirit. It's a, we're taking about, probably about eight to ten weeks to talk about the Holy Spirit because there are so many nuances and so much in who God, how God exists in the person of the Holy Spirit that it's too much to talk about in a week. It's too much to talk about in three weeks. It's too much to talk about even in six weeks because there's so much to it. So we're going to handle a lot of different aspects of the Holy Spirit over the next several weeks just so you can understand the importance of a relationship with God through his Holy Spirit because it is empowering and it is meant for every day. And so last week, we really talked about the entomology of the Holy Spirit, where he came from, who he is, what his function is, and even talked about a practical process to walking out your relationship with the Holy Spirit every day because that's the design. It's not meant for a hurrah Sunday morning or a uh, uh, in the presence of God, a night of worship, it's literally meant for when your feet hit the floor on Monday morning and you're, in your, you're at work and you're dealing with sometimes folks that only through the power of the Holy Spirit can you even deal with. And so that's a whole nother story. We'll get to that another day. But, um, but that's the point of this series. And you're going to hear, you're going to hear from myself today. Uh, today we're going to talk about this power that comes with the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear from one of our elders, uh, Nate Terry, in a couple of weeks as well, when he shares of like the power, like the how, like the how the Holy Spirit has functioned and walked in his life, and given he's going to be preaching an aspect of the Holy Spirit. And so, this is going to be a great, great season. If you missed last week, it's okay. Don't miss again. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, don't. Um, you'll miss something great. But it is online. So if you go to rfcpeoria.com, click on the listen link. Last week's message is posted and online for you to listen to. All right. So we even talked a little bit last week about the word, the, the Hebrew and the Greek words for the spirit that are recognized in scripture. And the word in the Old Testament that is constantly referred to as in the spirit is called the ruach, which is like a really cool word. I like to say it. And I emphatically say it from time to time, which I won't do now to save myself the embarrassment. But um, it really, what it means is it means a wind, a breath, but more specifically, a violent exultation. Meaning, I, this is like, it's not like, you know, it's not like, let's, let's just be, we got, we're adults here, right, for the most part. Some of it, the, it's debatable. I'm one of them. But, you know, it's, it's that idea when you go to see mom, right, and you got something in your eye, the last thing she does is go gently. You know, you might, if you're married, you might do that in your, in your spouse's ear, either to be annoying or because they like it. But when you've got something in your eye, it's more like a, and there's like nothing left in your eye. You feel like they blew the cornea out of your eyeball right? It's that kind of violent breath. And if you, if you can imagine that, so when the Holy Spirit, when the Bible says in Genesis, when the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters, the Spirit was this violent breath that was literally stirring up the atmosphere. And that's who the Holy Spirit is. Because in the New Testament, the Greek word translated for spirit is the word pneuma, which actually means a current of air or a blast of breath. So, Two completely different languages, two completely different words, two completely different time periods, same Holy Spirit. 
And so it's important to understand that because we get this mentality and this thought process that the God of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit that functioned in the Old Testament is irrelevant for today when the reality is it's the actual same Holy Spirit. Yesterday, today, just like God and just like Jesus said and forever. And so today I want to talk to you about the power of the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. The power of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, you see the power of the Holy Spirit working in so many countless different ways. I mean, there was a time when the, whole, the Bible says the Holy Spirit gave Joseph the skill to rule over Egypt. So you're going to see something of how the Spirit functions in the way he moves. He gave Joseph the skill to rule over Egypt. And he said the Holy Spirit gave Joshua military power. The ability to lead an army. The Spirit gave two unknown men who never were named the ability to work their crafts in such a way to bring blessing to the entire nation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit gave words to the prophets to speak over God's people. So you see him functioning in so many different aspects, in so many different ways, all through Scripture. And the Spirit of God came upon Gideon and gave him power to lead the army into battle. Right, so there's this power that is connected to being connected with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, in Judges chapter 14, verse 6, it's, it, it's hard to believe, but the Spirit of God came upon Samson with such power, he tore a lion apart with his bare hands. There is this unbelievable amount of strength and power that comes from a walk with the Holy Spirit. And I, let me just share one more with you from the Old Testament. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 6 shows that the words of Samuel to Saul said the spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. So here's something you have to understand when it comes to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on the scene and he's in your life, you will absolutely be changed into a different person. Matter of fact, I would suggest, and this is a bold suggestion and maybe controversial even, that it, when the Holy Spirit comes and you are not changed, it is you functioning, not the gifts of the Spirit functioning. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the, the gifts of the Spirit are subject to the prophet, which means those gifts that manifest and function are subject to the person who is functioning and operating in them, meaning they can choose to operate in them or not operate in them. They can choose to not do it properly. They can choose to do it in their own right, in their own ways, and in their own strength. The challenge with that is there's, no, there's nothing of eternal significance when we do it that way. Matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, and he's talking to people who cast out demons and did miraculous things. In the name of Jesus, they did them. And his words... Depart from me because I never knew you. So there's a correlation with relationship and, and, and value and, and, matter of fact, eternal significance to you functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the New Testament sees the power of the Holy Spirit everywhere. In fact, Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, when Mary wondered how would this be when she received word from the angel that said, you will give birth to the Son of God. Mary said, since I'm a virgin, how is this even possible? And then the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So there's crazy, amazing things that happen when you start involving the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you just a couple more before we get into today's message. 
And when Jesus gave his life for our sin on the cross, the Bible says the Son of God was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there is absolute life-changing, life-shifting, atmosphere-shifting power when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And before Jesus even ascended into heaven, he promised his followers that he would send them a gift. He called the Holy Spirit a gift. And and that gift he would send them, he said to them, he says, I will send you the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. There's some significance to that idea of the disciples staying put in Jerusalem to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if you think about it, Jesus had just died. He had just been raised from the grave. And if you remember the story, the disciples were being actually accused of stealing his body. Which really made no sense because how are these disciples going to roll away a stone and steal a body that was guarded by Roman guards? made no sense, but they couldn't possibly fathom that the words that Jesus spoke when he said, destroy the temple of God and I will rebuild it in three days could possibly mean that he was alive. They couldn't fathom that idea. So the disciples must have stolen his body. So it stands to reason and make a whole lot more sense that they should take off and scatter. But Jesus said, no, wait in the city. And here's what's even more powerful about that. The very people who killed Jesus, put him through that that bunked up trial, who killed him were the first people to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have this thing in modern society and our thought process that suggests, well, you're not worthy of God's Spirit being poured upon you. Anybody ever heard anything like that before? I've heard that in some churches before where someone said, well, you know what? Your life is just not worthy of the Holy Spirit being poured upon you. And I kind of try to remind them, say, well, you know what? The first time it ever happened, it happened to the people who killed Jesus. They were all around Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. But that's a whole other message for a whole other day. Let me not get to that. So I want to give you a a little bit of context and background for today's teaching to help make it a little bit more understandable because the one thing I do fully realize is when you start speaking about the Holy Spirit, you can start getting into some confusing and even mystical places and I like to try to simplify it as much as I'm capable of doing. And so when we believe, there's, there's two distinct conversations concerning the Holy Spirit. The very first one is when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you believe that he is the Son of God, that he suffered and died for your sin, that he was buried in the grave and raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, when you believe that person, when you've dedicated your life to Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is in you. That Holy Spirit comes in you and lives in you. That's like your Jiminy Cricket conscience on on your shoulder type thing. It's much more than that, obviously. I'm crudely simplifying it. But he's living within you, guiding you, strengthening you, comforting you, encouraging you. All these things, he's living in you. And then, as you will see in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost comes, that was the Holy Spirit then coming upon them. So there's two distinct moments. Some people don't believe that that's two moments. I do, based on my study of Scripture. I do believe they're two distinct differences. Because there's different texts and different words and different meanings for different words. And so there's a depth of Bible study there. But it's two moments that take place. And so we find this in many places in Scripture. The first part that I shared about the Spirit being in you 
is John chapter 3, verse number 8. The Bible says, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. It's talking about being born again, being changed from the inside. Then Paul in Ephesians said, chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. And so this brings us to today's message and what we're talking in. So understand as I start this, the last thing we should ever do in our lives is compare ourselves to other people. Ever. Nothing good can come from comparison. Nothing good can come from comparing what's your work ethic to someone else's work ethic, your relationship with God to someone else's relationship with God, the amount of power or presence of the Holy Spirit you walk in versus someone else. Nothing good can ever come from comparison. But have you ever noticed and seen just some people who seem to have this supernatural power of God that you look at and say, wow, what I love to walk in that. I, I do. I, I, there are people in, in and around my life and in and around my circle that I see they have this relationship with the Holy Spirit, and it's, such, it's so deep and it's so intimate that, that I'm just like, man, that is, that's just beautiful. I'd love, to, I'd love to know God like that. I'd love to know the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit like that. I mean, I know, but there's always, there's always that, that view of someone saying, wow, that is amazing. Like, like maybe when they pray, their prayers just sound so powerful. And then when they speak and they begin to pray and speak the word of God, you just start to get filled with this, this sense of like, wow, the presence of God is on them and in them. And, and then others, you may be in a conversation with them and they can just kind of quote scripture chapter and verse for every situation that you're going through. Now, there, there is so much power and spiritual assurance and walking with the Holy Spirit. And you're wondering, maybe you might be left wondering from time to time, how can I ever get to that place? How can I ever get to that level of power? And so here's the thing. I believe there are people, and this is the only thing in all of my study and all of my limited experience so far over the last 20 years, here's what I've come to realize. I believe there are people who are just simply more surrendered to God than others. I believe that's what it is. I don't believe it has anything to do with skill set or abilities or what they look like or any, what they, how they, any of those types of things, what they talk, where they grew up, their skin color, their, their nationality, their culture. It doesn't have anything to do with any of those things except I believe there are some people that are just more surrendered to God than others. And I believe that's the difference in seeing them function. And so the Holy Spirit, without making it overly simplified, is such a dynamic tool for life. Operating in the power of the Spirit is a dynamic tool for life. I remember there was a time when I was with a friend and we were digging holes in the ground to put fence in his yard. And he had a pretty decent yard. He was going about 60 feet this way and about 80 feet this way and about another 45 or 50 feet this way. And that's a lot of fence. 
And so we were digging holes, and we had our shovels, and we were digging holes, and we figured, you know what, we just, we only need probably about, eh, 60, 50 to 60 holes dug. We're young, like 26 years old, 27 years old, I'm, in, I'm fit, I can handle digging 60 holes, no problem. I dug a lot more than that when I served in the military, I was like, this is easy. So we're digging holes and digging holes, and finally we, we come up against some pretty hard ground that we like literally take the shovel, drive it into the ground, and the spade goes about a half an inch into the ground. Like, well, this shovel's not going to work any longer. So we went to the store and we bought ourselves a post hole digger. So post hole digger, if you know, it's got the handles and, and uh, two spades on the bottom. You drive it in the ground, pull it apart, and it lifts up dirt. And so we started doing that. We started getting through some of this tougher dirt. Then we found ourselves going up against brick and rock. And of course, we're like, we're men. We're young. We don't even need gloves. We're so, so strong. Let's just keep going. We found ourselves running up against stuff we could not get with the post hole digger. So we were like, what the heck are we going to do? We've got like eight inches, maybe 10 inches, the most a foot into the ground. We got to go at least two feet, how are we going to get past this, the rest of this ground? And so we're like, you know what time it is? It's time to go rent an auger. One of these things with power and gas and just all kinds of, let's just chew this ground up. And so we did, and we were able to dig the rest of the 50, 55 holes in no time. Matter of fact, we were able to dig the rest of the holes, a foot deep, six, I think it was 60, 50 to 60 holes, a foot deep. We got 50 to 60 holes, a foot deep, dug about hour, hour and 15 minutes, and we had spent almost four to get 12 inches into the ground. So there's tools available to us that have so much more power they're so much more effective. They're so much better. I wouldn't have had blisters all over my hands for two days if I'd have just said, let's just, I mean, we had shovels. We bought a post hole digger. Let's just rent an auger and chew the ground up. See, I, I, I liken the walk, the believer's walk to that kind of situation because I believe there are believers all over the world, good meaning, hardworking believers in Christ all over the world that put on their work gloves, take out their shovels, and start trying to dig into ground that they just cannot penetrate. They're just using the wrong tool. They're using something that's just not enough power. We were doing it in our own strength and in our own might, trying to break through this ground with shovels and with post hole diggers. And until we got something that had a power source that was not ours, we weren't able to get to where we wanted to go. Does that make sense? See, the Holy Spirit is a power source that is not yours. It's not in and of yourself. It's not your own strength. It's not your own way. It's not your own anything. And I know that's probably part of the problem for some of us prideful people is we wanted to do it our way. We wanted to do it in our own strength because it gives us some sort of satisfaction that we're good at something. Instead of just saying, let me just, all I ever had to do with the auger Lift it up, walk it, set it down, turn it on. <laughs> Cranking down. If that's all I ever had to do in the first place, we'd have been done quick. In time to just enjoy a good meal and not be exhausted and sleep for two days with blisters all over our hands. 
But that's what we look like spiritually. We have blisters all over our spiritual hands because we're working so hard in our own strength and in our own power, but not accomplishing anything that God desires for us to accomplish. That's the whole point of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not to stand in front of people and speak in 10,000 tongues so that you can get all this attention and accolades to say, oh, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to be honest and, and real, real transparent right now because it's something that drives me crazy. I meet people all the time and they want to introduce themselves to me as, oh, I am the prophet so-and-so. Oh, I'm the evangelist so-and-so. I am the apostle so-and-so. I am the, and I'm like, I am Mike. My mama named me Mike. That's my name. I will never identify who I am with a gift that God has given me or has not given me. Because that's me. That's myself. Matter of fact, if I look through scripture, whenever they were addressed, by, whenever they were spoken of, they were spoken of their gift, the prophet Elijah, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Nehemiah. But when anybody around them spoke to them, all they ever said was Isaiah, Nehemiah. Read it. Study it. It's a, or apostle, the apostle Paul when he's spoken of. But when you're with him, when he introduced himself, you know how he introduced himself? Hey, I am Paul. I am a slave to Jesus. He didn't come say, oh, I am the apostle who has planted a thousand churches. No, I am a slave to Christ. As a matter of fact, I am so messed up that I can't help but sin. Matter of fact, I hate sin. I don't want to sin, but it ends up being what I do anyway. Read the book of Romans. Our Wednesday morning study, Bible study group has been going through Romans, and for, th- for like five weeks, all we've been talking about is sin and sin and sin, and it's like, man. But it is important to understand as you progress through that book. But that's, this is the thing. People have relegated the power of the Holy Spirit to a title. That's not what its purpose is. The purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is honestly is to live out life. To live with strength, to live with power. Did you know you really legitimately can be absolutely spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically healthy? Do you know you can be that? Do you know you can actually have a conversation with God and ask him to speak to you and the Holy Spirit will actually speak to you? That you actually have this strength to live life where it's not like every other day, woe is me, my life sucks. That's the purpose of the power of the Spirit. Not so I can get up here and shout Hyundai's and Shundai's all night long. It's so that I can live an empowered life. A changed life. The Bible says this, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. I'm excited for our Wednesday morning Bible study when we get to Romans 8, because it is literally my favorite chapter in almost all of Scripture. But he says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is who lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The Holy Spirit's power is meant to raise dead things. Dead marriages, dead relationships with family, dead jobs, dead people. He's meant to raise things from the dead. And that's the power that is living within you. Can somebody please just do me a favor and wake up? Because the Holy Spirit is in you and speaking to you. 
And let me tell you, he's not telling you that your life sucks. That would be the devil who belongs under your feet. And you can walk around saying, I know the devil. You could, life could get tough and say, uh-huh, I know the devil's a liar. That ain't for me. The Holy Spirit's got something for me. So you can be filled with this powerful spirit of God and have the ability to live this supernatural life in a very, very natural world. And yet so many put their gloves on, grab their shovels and their post hole diggers and struggle through rock. Which leads us to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word baptized in the original language is the Greek word baptizo, which means fully immersed. That's why I don't subscribe to the sprinkling of water on a baby's forehead as baptism. You want to call that dedication to the Lord, I'm cool with that, but it's not baptism, not biblical baptism anyway. Because to be baptized means I am fully immersed. Water baptism suggests I am fully immersed in water. I am being the likeness of the burial of Christ and coming out as the likeness of the resurrection of Christ in order to live that changed life. It's, it's an emblematic and, 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 and commanded thing by Jesus to be baptized, but it's all in likeness. But it's fully immersed. And he want, Jesus said, I'm going to do the same thing to you with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy, that's why I subscribe to the in you and upon you theology of the Holy Spirit. Because at salvation, he's in you. At the Pentecost, he's on you. Now you are fully immersed both inside and outside. And so what's going to happen to you when this takes place is this in Acts chapter 1. When this outpouring of the Holy Spirit takes place in your life, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. See, he didn't say you'll receive power and you will speak in every unknown tongue and you'll be, receive power and be my prophet and be my apostle or be my evangelist or whatever other title that people want to give themselves or be given by some denomination. He says you'll receive power when and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. The intention of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not so that I speak in a ton of tongues. It's cool. It's prayer. It's a prayer language. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But it's so that I can be a witness of Christ. You know what that word witness means? It's the English word martyr. Yeah. You're empowered with the Holy Spirit to die for Jesus. Physically, maybe. Spiritually, absolutely. Personally, definitely. That's why Paul said, I'm a slave for Jesus. He's dead to himself, only alive in Christ. There are people in the world who are called to be martyrs of Christ and die physically, suffer death for the cause of Christ. Look at the disciples. All except they could kill them all but one. They couldn't kill John. And so this was the call of God, and they could only walk out the call of God because they had the power of the Holy Spirit in them and then also upon them. But their goal was to tell people about Christ. 
So my challenge and my thought for you is who do you tell about Jesus? Who are you willing to shed whatever persona you have come up with, whatever way you think of yourself, who are you willing to shed all of that to be real with someone about Christ? You know, preaching is not what you do in a church on Sunday morning. It's what you do Monday through Saturday in life. When I played softball, I played, when I met my wife, I was playing competitively, and I was playing six days a week, and, and I was even getting paid to play softball. Imagine that, grown men getting paid to play softball. I, I didn't mind it. A couple hundred bucks, go to a tournament. And so uh, when I gave my life to Christ, I let all that go because I knew there was no way I was going to walk out this life with Christ and stay connected to my old world. So I, was, I, I abandoned it all. The Lord spoke. He said, leave it, and I left it. In a moment, I left it. Then the Lord opened up a door about four or five years later where I'd be able to get back into that world, part-time albeit, not, and no longer getting paid to do it. Skill set had left me at that point. I was older. No, it was nowhere near as good as I had been. But I got the opportunity, and we had this team, and this team was phenomenal. There was at least seven former minor league baseball players on this team. So this team was amazing, and we had a blast. And we'd go and play a doubleheader, and then that night after the doubleheader, we'd be in the parking lot drinking beer and hanging out, and I'd have, they'd always have a Coke for me. And we had nicknames in the scorebook. Nobody's actual name was in the scorebook. There was Fun Bob, and there was Rosie, and there was all kinds of crazy names. My name in the scorebook was preacher. It wasn't what I did. It was how they viewed me because of what and who was in me and on me. And we would, and then ironically enough, throughout the course of the next couple of years, I would lead like six of them to Christ. I spent two years playing softball on a team to lead six people to Christ. Who are you willing to tell? Who are you willing to shed this image that you see of yourself to tell people about Christ. That is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you look through Scripture, never one time did Jesus say to his disciples, man, you guys have such great faith. I can't even believe I'm here with you. Matter of fact, over and over, he says, don't you guys get it? I mean, where's your faith? You're walking with me and you still have no faith. You know, and you see people like Peter, who's kind of the ringleader, who said, Jesus, I am with you forever. I will never leave you. And then we see that that man would leave. All of these things happen without the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, and they were all sold out for Jesus. And at the end of the day, when he was suffering on the cross, there was only but one that would stay. So there's this, there's this thing about the Holy Spirit power that empowers us and enables us. And yes, he uses, like when, that, when, they, when it says, you're gonna be my witnesses telling people about me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and through the ends of the earth. Yes, his intention is that you use the gifts that he gives you. His intention is you do prophesy. Matter of fact, they said, I would much rather you prophesy than anything, than even speak in tongues, because speaking in tongues edifies yourself. Prophecy edifies the body of Christ. So yeah, prophecy is part of telling discernment and wisdom and knowledge and all these things are part of telling about him, but it's not about the gift. It's about the purpose that the gift has, and it's to tell people about Christ. And so I want to show you four distinct qualities that I'm going to share with you over the next 10 minutes or so to bring this home 
but four distinct qualities that the power of the Holy Spirit wants to give to all believers. These are your notes. There's some fill in the blanks there for you to track along if you like for the next 10 minutes. But there's four distinct qualities that the Holy Spirit wants to give to every believer. And the first one is very simply, and I've already touched on it, but we'll get just a tad bit deeper right now, is to share Christ boldly. It's to share Christ boldly. Not just share him, but to share him boldly. As a matter of fact, there are instances in scripture of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where the Bible says they would preach boldly. Not with timidity, but with boldness. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, And my message and my preaching were very plain. This is what Paul is saying. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that, you would not, so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Some translations that, uh, that are out there that actually, I actually kind of prefer the way it says, is he said, I did not come with eloquence of speech, but I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Meaning, you're supposed to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit in your speech. So you're boldly proclaiming. I don't care whether you do it with a microphone in front of your face, you do it in the context of worship, or you do it sitting next to another employee at lunch. It's a boldness that God's called you to speak with and share him. He said, and he said, I am not eloquent. I just show up and the power of the spirit is there. I got to a long time ago, many, many years ago, almost 12, 13 years ago in ministry when I was in Laredo, Texas, there was this short little white guy from Alabama. His name was Joe Odin. He's a, an evangelist. And I've, I've not seen any, anyone in all my years of ministry mobilize people to share Christ the way that he's able to. And he would go into the, uh, the Red District in Dallas. And if you're familiar with that area in Dallas, it's, it's where there's a lot of bars and a lot of, um, a lot of just a lot of sin rampant in that area. A lot of confusion, a lot of challenges, a lot of struggles in that area. He would literally walk up to people. I mean, when I say he's little, he's like this big. He would literally walk up to people and he would look at them. And he says, you ever experienced the power of the Holy Spirit? And he's in a bar now, mind you. or out, out in the streets talking to even drag queens and all kinds of wildness out there. And they look at him like, what? He like... I'm going to lay my hands on you, and I'm going to believe the power of the Holy Spirit is going to deliver you right now. Matter of fact, he's going to sober you up right now in the name of Jesus. He put his hand on his chest, and boom, instantly sober. And he said, now, come on, let me teach you about Jesus. I mean, that's, a, that's some serious boldness right there. Serious boldness. Actually, I, say that, I tell that story because I actually ran into him again this past week at a pastor's conference here in Illinois, which was wild for us to reminisce a little bit. But, um, but that's... That's the power. He says, I just, this is what he says. He says, I just show up and expect the Holy Spirit to already be there. And so that's, that's the kind of boldness that God's expecting. So you're, gonna, you're going to, when, the, when he gives you power, you're going to share Christ boldly. And no, you don't have to be eloquent in speech. And no, you don't necessarily have to just walk up to some random person and say, I'm gonna, you're going to feel the power of the Holy Spirit right now. You can. If that's what the Lord leads you to do it, then do it. But share Christ boldly. Number two, the Holy Spirit gives you the power for when you're weak. It's not all about the 
the outward manifestations of, oh my gosh. I mean, can you imagine being on the streets, walking with him, and that happens, and you see that instantaneous sobriety? Ooh. That's, that's like one of these outerly, out of this world type things, but it's not always about that. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Here we are in my favorite chapter again. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. In our weakness, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Here's the deal. So many of you, you've got your gloves on, you've got your shovel, your post hole digger, and where you are weak is understanding that this strength is supposed to do the work for you. I don't fight battles. Every one of my battles are fought on my knees or on my face. Imagine that, right? Imagine going into battle and say, hold on a minute, I'm going to lay down on my face. Because I'm not called to fight my battles. The Holy Spirit is called to fight my battles. Because where I am weak, His strength is strong. His Spirit is strong in my weakness. You know, we get to the end of our strength and the Holy Spirit has no end to his strength. You ever heard that phrase, oh, I'm at the end of my rope? Honestly, that's a great place to be. In my estimation, it's a great place to be at the end of your rope because there's nothing left for you. Stop holding on to what you need to hold on into your own strength and just say, here I am, Lord. Do with me as you please. Do whatever it is you need to do in my life and through my life. But you be the one to do it. He gives us strength when we are weak. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9 says, Each time he said, my grace is all you need. We're talking about Paul who had this, this thorn in his flesh, the Bible says. He says, my grace is all you need. My power, here it is, my power works best in weakness. It doesn't work well in strength. If you were in your own strength, and think about it. I'm trying to dig these holes in my own strength that wasn't working out so well. But when I got something that was a power source that didn't belong to me, we dug through holes like that. That's how it works with the Holy Spirit. When you decide to stop digging holes with your own hands and say, okay, God, here you are. Holy Spirit, take the reins and do with it as you please. He opens doors that you can't open. He does things that you can't possibly do because he has to get the glory. And you can't look, and I, the, one of the first things, and I do this from time to time with my man Nate, but one of the first things I think about is, is Nate Terry is a man of God who served time in prison for a heinous crime that he committed unto his own, own voice. If you haven't heard his testimony, you, you need to. But in his own words, he would tell you he committed a crime that he was doing the time for in one of the worst prisons in the United States of America that would suggest that because of his background, because of what he's done, he should not be allowed to be in some of the positions that he has been in. And he has found himself in maximum security prisons, federal prisons, preaching the gospel that would look at his background and say, yeah, no. Nah. But what is that? That's the power of the Holy Spirit doing work that he cannot do. That's what God has called us to do in our weakness. He is strength. He goes on. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why, that's, honestly, that's my, that's my anthem for why I'm transparent as a pastor. I want you to know how much I fail so that when you see me doing well, you realize just how good God actually is. 
Because there's no way I could accomplish anything that I've done in my life that has had any eternal significance except that it be the power of God in me and on me. He goes on to say, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecution, and the trouble that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's a, it's a, it's a perspective shift that our world has to have because they view weakness as this, that. It's weakness. You're weak. You have no value. Strengthen up. I was one of the worst people at this. I would tell people, dude, suck it up. Let's go. And there is, there is a time, I think, for that, but it's not most of the time. I used to think that was the only thing. Oh, your leg's broken? Just get up and walk. Suffer. Let's go. Suck it up. Oh, you're emotionally hurting. You're depressed. You're anxious. Oh, I'm so sorry. Suck it up. That was the person I used to be. But it's in those moments where if you lean on Christ and you lean on the Holy Spirit, that's when you're strong. I would boast on my strength and never my weakness. Today, I'm far, far to the opposite side. Let me, let me rush through the, run, run through this real quick. Number three, he gives you the power of his spirit to have hope in a hopeless world. We are in a hopeless world. We truly are. Without Christ, there is no hope. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through what? The power of the Holy Spirit. Are we getting this? Is this registering in our spirits yet? That it's the power of the Holy Spirit that delivers everything that we need to walk out life. People today have very limited hope. And it's because we put our hope in other people. We put our hope in jobs. We put our hope in our families. We put our hope in so many other places except in Christ. It's limited because it's not in the right place. If you put your hope and your faith and your trust in Christ for your marriage, for your finances, for your family, for your health, for your emotional and mental stability, if you put that in Christ, that's when you start to see hope. That's when you start to see God's power moving. He is the great physician who is capable of healing every sickness, every disease. And I don't just mean the sicknesses and the diseases that we pray over like cancer and pains and broken bones and these types of things. I'm talking mentally emotionally, spiritually, brokenness. He is the one who's the healer of brokenness. Anyone in, in this room that has suffered any kind of pain or, 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 or hurt or whatever associated with another human being, parent, sibling, pastor, leader, Whatever, anybody who's ever experienced that kind of pain has a remnant of that pain in them, has a remnant of that hurt in them that limits what they're capable of doing. It's the Holy Spirit that brings deliverance and breakthrough and power and heals brokenness. It's the only way to get to where God has, you to, has for you to go. Trust me, been there, done that. That same person who says, suck it up one time was curled up in almost the fetal position, weeping, yeah, big guy like me, 
weeping like that. Absolutely. There was stuff in me that I wasn't dealing with that the Holy Spirit had to get to. So important. Last one is this. I want to share with you. I know I ran through these a little quicker. Worship team, you can come and get set if you would. Is any of this making any sense? I hope I'm not just passionately yelling at y'all and then you walk out of here like I have no flipping clue what he said. That's never my, my hope. My hope is always that um, I'm able to connect some of these deeper truths concerning God, the Holy Spirit, power, all these things in an understandable and practical ways. Um, so but number four, so the Holy Spirit gives you the power to share Christ boldly. He gives you the power when you are weak. He gives you the power to have hope in a hopeless world. And number four, this is, might be one of the coolest parts of it, is he gives you the power to experience the fullness of God. The fullness of God. What does that mean? Here's what I've noticed. In our church, in our nation, I believe so many people have reduced Christianity down to the lowest common denominators. What do I mean by that? For so many people today, it's, yeah, I believe in God. I did the Jesus prayer thing. You know, I, I prayed this prayer that I repeated from somebody or I checked that box or I got baptized or I joined the church or I read my Bible. I read my Bible every now and then. And maybe, maybe that seems like a lot. And so I try to be a good person, but you know, somebody crosses me, I'm, they're going to hear about it. Or yeah, you know, I've kind of, I've, I've forgiven that person. I just can't stand to be in the same room with them. Make my blood boil when they're in that room. You didn't forgive them then. Another story. Talk about that later. But when you look at the lives of so many believers, this is what I see. And this is, God had to, God had to help me with this. Because when I look at people, I see value. I see ability. I see supernatural strength and ability. And then I want that, I want that for them so badly. And it's brought me sometimes to the place where I want it for them. And I was just having this conversation briefly before service started. More than they want it for themselves. And then it makes me mad at them for not wanting it. Because I, I just trust God so much that he takes care of all these things in such amazing ways that I have no need to stress or to worry. And nothing has taught me that more in the current season I'm in in my life with my 17-year-old daughter eight hours away in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And she has had a rough go of the beginning of her college career. A rough go. She got there and she got bit by some bug and had to go to the emergency room and this little bite turned into this openness and, and just started, it was an infection. They got it taken care of. She's good to go. Wrestling with her blood sugars, trying to stabilize them because she's working out three days a week. Got that good to go. Then she gets this abdominal strain. Nothing like your mom watching her on TV because they live stream volleyball games and your mom texting, why is my on crutches? It's like she's got an abdominal strain. She's okay. You just want to keep her weight off of it for a couple of days. She deals with that only to have a very similar infected bite on her other arm that she has to go to the doctor for. Meanwhile, struggling with the idea of being away from home, feeling a little homesick, 
And here I am going through all of that eight hours away with no way to be with her. And what I did was, Father, in the name of Jesus, watch her. Holy Spirit, cover her. Give her strength when she is weak. Spirit of God, speak to her right now. Comfort her. Be everything that your word says that you are. Be that for my daughter right now in Jesus' name. And I can tell you with absolute 100% surety, I have walked in peace with my daughter eight hours away. Knowing she's dealing with the things she's dealing with. It helps that we talk every day. I see her on FaceTime. But the whole point is that is there's this fullness of God that the Holy Spirit power brings. Where there's so much more. Because even in, and you heard all that, right? You heard all the toughness that she's dealing with. Let me just tell you a couple of little things. God's speaking to her. She speaks to me. It's a different person. Like this girl, she's going to flat out preach. We have conversations about theology that I could never have with her in our house. I'm having with her while she's away at college. And I'm listening to her speak, and I'm like, where did this girl come from? It's that fullness. She's walking in a little bit more than I try to be a good person. She's walking in a little bit more than, you know, I pray sometimes, or I read sometimes, or I go to church sometimes. She's walking in a little bit different place, and it is evident. She is walking in the fullness of God, and I couldn't be more proud. And that way that I see her and the way that I see some of the other folks in this church and our leadership team is the way I want to see our entire body work. I want to see, honestly, let me just be very real and transparent for a moment. I want to see people have the boldness of Christ to fill this room up, not say, eh, I come to church twice a month and I'm good to go. I checked off my church box. No, fill the room with God, with people for God to pour into. Fill the room, not just this room, but every single church in the nation. Fill them up. Because we have a hopeless world. You are the conduit that God uses to teach other people about his fullness. And it doesn't matter your situation. It doesn't matter what you can and cannot accomplish based on what you think and you don't think that you are able to do. It's all about the power of God. I am tired of seeing believers walk without any victory, walk without any power, walk without any faith, walk without this relationship with the Holy Spirit. I am done with it. I want to see freedom. I want to see broken people restored. This is the prayer that Paul prayed over the people in Ephesus. And I will echo it as I close this message this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 16. This is his prayer. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may ha- and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Christ through it is though it is too great to understand fully then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God that is my prayer for this church 
for these people, for you, for every single person in this city. That is my prayer, that they would experience the fullness of God.